going to call me a murderer for? I've never killed anyone. I don't need to kill anyone. I think it. Believe me, if I started murdering people, there'd be none of you left. Hello friends and enemies, hello and welcome to another episode of Exploring Evil. As always, I'm your host Jay, and through this podcast I bring you stories of lesser known serial killers, the wild, the wicked, and the depraved. I would like to extend an invitation to subscribe to the show so you won't miss a single episode, leave a 5 star rating, and write a review. I've also started another, more discussion-based podcast on the paranormal. With my co-host Ryan, I discuss the paranormal like UFOs, reincarnation, black-eyed kids, my nights as a ghost hunter, and El Kikui. We did a show on well-documented cases of children being raised in the wild, which, while not technically paranormal, was riveting indeed. The show is called Cryptique, and you can find it everywhere you find Exploring Evil. As far as Exploring Evil goes, you can email comments, questions, and case suggestions to exploringevil at gmail.com. If you want to start your own podcast, I can help with editing, original music, sound effects, and mastering, so shoot me an email. Tonight's show was suggested by Nancy from Daytona Beach, Florida. I've been to Daytona Beach a couple of times and I loved it there and I hope to go back sometime soon. Nancy writes, I love the show and the odd selection of criminals you cover. You should do a show on Michael Bear Carson and his wife, who thought she had visions but was really just crazy. I'll take the odd selection of criminals comment as a compliment. And she's right, it is a very interesting case. Thanks, Nancy. Naomi from Parts Unknown emailed that she likes the show but is all caught up on episodes and wants new ones. She suggested the case of Lori Ruff and says it's, quote, right up my alley. I did a quick search on Lori Ruff and that's one I can't wait to get started on. Thanks for the suggestion. Imagine, you're a young woman from the South with a taste for the eclectic you find a couple in San Francisco that is into yoga, meditation, and the alternative lifestyle you think you've been searching for. After getting to know them, you invite them to move in with you, and you believe you've found kindred spirits. They're a throwback to the days of hippies, free love, psychedelics, peace, and harmony with nature. As you sleep, your peace is shattered with a sharp pain and a debilitating ringing in your ears. Your blurry vision clears up enough that you can see a jet black frying pan being hammered down towards you. You try to scream, but you're frozen. Another blow sends your world spinning and your eyes fill with blood. A third strike and everything goes blank. This is the case of Bear and Susan Carson and this is Exploring Evil. Susan Barnes had it all, a loving family, good looks, and a lavish lifestyle that saw her spending her afternoons playing tennis at the local country club. But for Susan, that wasn't quite enough. Susan had what was described as a voracious sexual appetite. 
She had two teenage sons, and they had many friends that thought Susan was the coolest mom they'd ever met. She loved their friends, too, and their friends' friends, and their friends as well. Susan loved all the teenage boys in the neighborhood and beyond. She allegedly slept with over 150 of the teens at her son's high school. But that's not all. Susan had gotten caught up in mind-altering drugs. Susan started smoking pot and tripping acid, mescaline, and peyote. (coughs) LSD and peyote are powerful hallucinogens, and they took their toll on Susan, who also may have suffered from mental illness, and the drugs exacerbated her already fragile psyche and loosened her shaky grip on reality. She began to have delusions, or as she referred to them, visions, regularly, even when she wasn't high. She had believed that she was psychic from an early age. One time, after a night of drugs and sex, she awoke to find her name painted all over the walls of her house. Her name was spelled S-U-Z-A-N on the walls instead of S-U-S-A-N so she started spelling her name with a Z. Needless to say, the infidelity, drug use, and budding psychosis shattered her marriage. She would soon divorce her husband and leave her life of privilege behind. James Clifford Carson was originally from Oklahoma. He was a nonconformist, middle-class dropout. Always reading, he took a special interest in history, religions, and philosophy. He earned a degree from the University of Iowa in Chinese studies, where he met his first wife. After graduation, they had a daughter and moved to Arizona. While his wife supported him as a teacher, he was a stay-at-home dad and pot dealer. Things seemed to work out that way for quite a while. By his daughter's account, he was a loving and attentive father. But as time went on, he began to get more antisocial and prone to angry outbursts. Due to his growing unstable behavior and his inability or unwillingness to get a job, his wife divorced him in 1977. Bear's former wife was afraid of him hurting her and trying to kidnap or win custody of their daughter so she moved numerous times with her daughter while keeping them hidden. His former wife also stopped all contact with their mutual acquaintances. Shortly thereafter, he met Susan. When they met, it was an instant attraction. The first thing she said to him when they met was that his name was Michael. He said, no, my name is James, to which she responded, no, you are Michael, an angel of God. From then on, James went by the name Michael. It was a match made in hell. James was looking for God, and Susan was looking for disciples. In 1978, the couple began traveling around Europe. Along the way, they preached of their religion and their crusade against witchcraft. It failed to catch on, as they apparently lacked that Charlie Manson charm. It might also have been due to the glaring contradictions that plagued every aspect of their belief system. In expected oxymoronic fashion, the two were wed at Stonehenge beneath the light of the moon. What's more witchy than a moonlight wedding at the site of pagan worship? 
After they married, they traveled around Europe a while, doing drugs and taking in the sights. Susan developed her own religion from her drug and psychosis-induced visions, a twisted, radical interpretation of Islam. James changed his name to Michael Bear and wrote his daughter a letter telling her that God gave him a new name. Susan also changed her name to Susan Bear, but neither changed their names legally. Nonetheless, James and Susan became known as the Bears. Upon returning to the U.S., they began going by the surname Bear and described themselves as Vegetarian Muslim Warriors. Eventually, it culminated into one deadly vision from Susan, saying that she and Michael should become Muslims and kill witches. Now a quick word from our sponsors. Hey, thanks for listening. All of this is made possible by you. You are the true heartbeat of exploring evil. I urge you to check out my other podcast, Cryptique, where you can get your paranormal fix. If you're tired of watching ghost hunting shows where a door moves six inches and the host tells you it's a succubus that's come for their soul, listen to Cryptique. My co-host Ryan and I break down paranormal events that live in infamy. We just did a case on legendary bluesman Robert Johnson. Did he sell his soul to the devil for the ability to create the haunting guitar licks that made him famous? Listen to Cryptique to find out. Now back to exploring evil. Bear and Susan quickly set up shop in the Haight-Ashbury district of San Francisco. In 1980, Haight-Ashbury was still a major epicenter of the counterculture and drug scene. During one drug-induced psychosis, Susan believed she was having a vision and thought she was a witch. Bear comforted her and told her she wasn't a witch, she was a yogi mystic. If it sounds like the beginning to the story of a cult, it is. Well, sort of. They began searching the streets of Haight-Ashbury looking for recruits to their new cult. There, they met Karen Barnes at a party. She was an aspiring actress from Georgia and by all accounts, a wonderful and sweet young lady. A friend of the victim told the San Francisco Examiner that the Carsons mesmerized Karen who always went for the underdog. Though most people were repulsed by the bear's odd and even hostile behavior, Karen, an open-minded spiritual seeker, found them fascinating. She invited them to come live with her, where they continued nearly non-stop tripping, drinking, and getting high. Susan and Michael grew upset with Barnes after she declined to enter a polyamorous relationship with the couple. Before long... Susan began to see Karen as a witch. Bear told Susan he didn't think Karen was a witch and he liked her. Susan may have feared that Bear liked Karen a little too much. Maybe she felt threatened by the pretty younger woman, or maybe she really did believe Karen had evil psychic powers. Either way, Susan said Karen had to die. She allegedly told Bear, 
You kill that demon or I will. Susan claimed that Karen had faked a conversion to Islam and was draining her of her psychic abilities. Susan was a subliminal killer. She was the voice causing Michael Bear Carson to commit this murder. She would be classified as a visionary killer, commanding the murder or murders, as we'll soon see. And Bear, believing in Susan's powers, did what he thought he had to do. As Karen lay sleeping peacefully, Bear Carson picked up an iron skillet and began to mercilessly beat Karen's head in. She was also stabbed 13 times, though it's unclear as to who delivered the stab wounds. So the Carsons wrapped Karen up in a blanket and placed her in the basement, where she was later discovered by investigators. Susan then left her name on the wall, as she had done at her own house during a bad trip. Susan and James were the primary suspects in Karen's murder because evidence pointed to her being killed by someone she knew. There was overkill. Whomever committed this murder wanted to destroy Karen Barnes. The Carsons fled to Grants Pass, Oregon, to a mountain hideout before Karen's body was found. After lying low for a year in Northern California, Michael and Susan were bored. Michael and Susan lived and worked as caretakers on a marijuana farm in Alder Point, California. The Carson's fellow workers described them as anarchists that predicted that there will be a nuclear apocalypse soon and that the couple advocated revolution. They expressed their disdain for then-President Ronald Reagan to their co-workers. The Carsons and fellow worker Clark Stevens were having an ongoing dispute in May of 1982. He was trying to get through the gate that the Carsons were charged with standing guard over, and, probably high on hallucinogens, they refused to let him pass. Stevens made the mistake of calling Susan a witch out of anger. She then told Bear to kill him. Bear murdered Stevens by shooting him then dragged his body into the woods, burned his body, and buried his burnt dead body under chicken fertilizer. Susan and Bear again fled from the area. The Humboldt County Sheriff's Office found Stephen's driver's license and burnt body in the woods about two weeks later after Stephen's friends had reported him missing. The Carsons were the main suspects in the murder of Stevens because they had an ongoing dispute with him. Detectives searched the Carsons' remaining items at the farm and discovered that the Carsons wrote an anti-government manifesto that wished for President Ronald Reagan to be assassinated. Detectives had a hard time tracking down the Carsons due to them taking precautions to not interact with government authorities. In November 1982, Michael was picked up by police in Los Angeles after an acquaintance saw them hitchhiking. However, through a police error... Carson was quickly freed and vanished before Humboldt County detectives had a chance to question him. He left evidence behind, including a mugshot, address information, and a gun left in the police car. It was back to Northern California for the pair after that. In order to get into the nearby town, Susan and Michael would hitchhike. In 1983, two years after Karen's murder, they caught a ride with John Hillier. He had always hitchhiked ever since he was 16, Hellier's brother Danny told the Daily Beast in an interview. 
Anytime he saw a hitchhiker, he felt compelled to give them a ride because he always did it. At some point, John's leg allegedly touched Susan's and she didn't like that. Suddenly, she had another premonition about John being a witch. I wonder if we'll ever get the chance to kill him. Susan ordered Bear to kill him as well. The couple stayed with Hillier that night at the home of a friend of Hillier where they discussed and practiced a plan to murder him. While riding in his truck, Susan would lean forward as a signal to shoot Hillier. But when Michael pulled out the gun, Hillier grabbed it and a fight ensued. This led to witnesses to the fight and Michael shooting and killing John. The two attempted to drive off in John's truck, going on a high-speed chase with police, and ended up in a ditch after spinning off the road. Danny Hellier said his brother left home to join the movement of free-loving hippies, rejecting authority and the establishment. John was turning his life around and had gotten off drugs when the Carsons killed him, Danny Hellier added. The Carsons were then arrested. In January of 1983, the couple announced they would willingly confess if they could do so in the form of a televised press conference like real religious leaders would do. For six hours, they fielded questions with smiles on their faces, never once expressing remorse. They stated the motive behind each murder. Their victims were witches and even confessed to the murder of farm owner Clark Stevens a crime police might never have linked them to. In other cases of serial killer couples, one normally turns on the other, but these two stood by each other, offering support and justification as they recounted their crimes to the cameras. After their televised confession, they pled not guilty in court. Despite six hours of footage in which both Michael and Susan discussed their crimes at length, They both pled not guilty when their case went to trial. Even though they recanted their statements, there still existed physical and testimonial evidence from each murder scene. Susan's name written in her own handwriting on Karen Barnes' photos, their kill list in their own handwriting, actual eyewitnesses. Furthermore, Michael wrote an op-ed letter to famous journalist Herb Cain about how no one cared that he had rid San Francisco of its most dangerous witch. Carson wrote, complaining that his murder trial had received, quote, no publicity in the more important press. We insist on pre-trial publicity, Carson said, complaining that he hadn't been allowed to air his opinions during a preliminary hearing. Michael described Susan as a yogi mystic with knowledge of past, present, and future events. He claimed she had been sexually attacked by Stevens and abused by Hillier, who she said was a witch. A psychiatrist found both fit to stand trial, having no mental disorders, and believed their delusions were all due to the use of hallucinogens. In a prediction literally anyone could make, the Bears were convicted of all three murders. After the guilty verdict was announced, Susan screamed, What is my crime? To be beautiful? To be an artist? They were each sentenced to 75 years to life. In an appeal, the Carsons claimed that their Miranda rights and right to counsel had been violated before the press conference, but the court ruled against them, stating that they had been Mirandized and did have counsel before the press conference, but they initiated the communication. 
They also tried to claim ineffective counsel, stating that Susan's attorney just rehashed the Paul Newman movie, The Verdict, in his closing argument. In the following years, the witch killers have never shown remorse for their crimes. They also keep quiet when asked if there were any other murders committed during their time on the run, but it is assumed likely. Michael canceled his original parole hearing in 2015 because he didn't want to renounce his religious beliefs that led to the murders. No one is going to parole me because I will not and have not renounced my beliefs, he wrote on a form to cancel the hearing. The board denied parole for Carson for 10 years. He will not be automatically scheduled for a hearing until approximately May 27, 2030 but he can petition the board for an earlier hearing if he can present evidence of a change in suitability or facts of the case. In 2015, Susan was denied parole for 15 years. Her next hearing was set for December 2030. Michael Carson's daughter, Jen, now 45 and living in Riverside, has long opposed his release. She was relieved when she heard the parole board's decision. I spoke out against my father's parole because I believed he would kill again if released, Jen Carson said. We may never know how many people were killed by my father or where they are buried. But today, there was justice for the three known victims, Karen Barnes, Clark Stevens, and John Hellier, and future violence was prevented. So that's it, friends and enemies. That's the grisly case of Bear and Susan Carson. Choose your friends wisely and be weary of people who spend most of their time high on acid and peyote. A lot of people experiment, but if your life is one big acid trip, bad things happen. If you're struggling with an addiction, you can get free help by contacting the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration at 1-800-662-HELP. They provide free, confidential, 24-7-365 treatment and referral services for victims of addiction and family members as well. A quick reminder to subscribe to Exploring Evil on your favorite podcast platform. Leave a five-star rating and write a review. Email case suggestions to exploringevil at gmail.com. And if you're considering starting your own podcast, I can help with editing, original music, sound effects, and mastering. Thanks to Nancy for suggesting this case, and to Nancy and Naomi for being loyal listeners. Tell all of your friends and enemies about Exploring Evil, and share with your friends on Facebook and other social media sites as well. Don't forget about Cryptique if you have an interest in the paranormal, as you can find it everywhere you find Exploring Evil. Thanks, friends and enemies, and have a great night. Thank you.
Thank you.